Good morning. If you'll turn to Luke chapter 8 in your Bible, in the Pew Bible, it's page 865. We'll be looking at Jesus moving toward this man who is possessed by demons and the healing work of Christ. The amazing mission of God. So let's begin in Luke chapter 8, verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. The people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus clothed and in his right mind and they were afraid and those who had seen it told them how the demon possessed man had been healed then all the people of the surrounding country of the garrisons asked him to depart from them for they were seized with great fear so he got into the boat and returned the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him but jesus sent him away saying return to your home And declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Let's pray. Lord, we ask now once again that you would set our eyes upon Jesus. And that as the people who, the two men who walked with you, Jesus, on the road to Emmaus. That our hearts would burn within us as we consider how wonderful and how precious And how powerful you are. Come Holy Spirit and do that. We know that that's what you long to do. So do that now in our midst. Amen. So I have to say this. You know, I'm a guest preacher. So I know when I was a pastor of a church. When the guest preacher's here, it's kind of like, oh, great. Uh, So I know how that feels. And just it's an honor to be in Darwin Jordan's pulpit. I don't say this when I visit churches uh, about every pastor. Because it's not true. But I wish Darwin Jordan was my pastor. Like, I'm jealous of you. I'm jealous that Darwin Jordan is your pastor because he's so kind and so funny. And he's such a, um, just such a great minister. So Darwin, thank you. It's in Darwin and Kay. They're just, I mean, it's so much fun. I've laughed so hard with y'all and just so great to be here. And then Jacob Tilton. Um, I'm jealous that Jacob, see, I'm jealous of y'all. I'm jealous that Jacob Tilton's your music director. I've known Jacob like since 01 
And uh, I just, I love that guy. So I'm just, it's such an honor to be at a church where both these dudes are. And I've gotten to know Ryan uh, more and, and he's great too. So what a blessed church you guys are. It's awesome. Um, the first sermon that we have recorded that Jesus ever preached was from the, the, the book of Isaiah. And Jesus went to his hometown, which is always a hard thing to do to preach in your hometown, right? He goes to his hometown and he opens up the scroll and he reads the book of Isaiah. And it's, it says... Uh, this passage, the, the spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. To proclaim liberty for the captives. He's proclaiming a word of freedom. And see, Jesus does something that is different than a lot of preachers, including myself, he really lives out what he preaches. And so on this day, he's crossing the Sea of Galilee to go to perhaps the most miserable, wretched captive on the planet. And this story has been recorded especially in, in Mark's gospel and Luke's gospel, so that we might know what it means for us to be set free, to know that the Lord Jesus came to set you free, and so that your heart may burn within you, your heart may warm toward Jesus this morning. Two things, and then a so what. First, Jesus is not disgusted by you. This is a disgusting story. He's not disgusted by you. Second, Jesus is not afraid of evil. He's not afraid of the evil inside of you. He's not afraid of the evil in, in the world. This is story is, has some scary evil in it. And then so what? We'll look at what are the takeaways uh, for that, for this church, for your life individually, and for you as a group. So let's, let's walk through that together. Jesus is not disgusted by you. This, the reason I say this is a disgusting story it just sort of layered, there's just one um, disgusting fact after the other, especially for a first century Jew. First, uh, this man is a Gentile and he lives among Gentiles. And the reason we know he's a Gentile and lives among Gentiles is because they're herding pigs. On the opposite side of the Sea of Galilee was a was Gentile. The, the region of the Gerasenes was a Gentile uh, uh, region. And, and to a Jew... The Gentiles were filthy dogs. That's actually what they referred to them as, filthy dogs. They didn't, they didn't come in contact with Gentiles. They didn't like Gentiles. They definitely didn't like what Gentiles like to eat, and that is pigs. Maybe the one, one of the only things that Jews and Muslims agree on is their disdain for pork. And it was filthy. You can imagine the, in a first century wor world, so you have a Gentile man in a land of pigs. But that's not all. Luke tells us that he lives among the tombs. And for a long time, this is a long time, so for years, this man has lived in a graveyard. He sleeps at night on death and near death for years. Mark also tells us, 
And, and, so, and so why is death important? To come in contact with a dead body or dead things would have made you another ceremonially unclean. So it's just like strike one, strike two, strike three, strike four, strike five for this guy. So he's a, a Gentile in a land of pigs um, living, literally living in death. Mark tells us that he's, that he's a man who screams. He would shriek. Mark also tells us that he would cut himself with stones. So he has scars and blood covering his body. And that he wore no clothes. Are you getting a picture of this man? That Jesus is going directly to? He, Jesus wants to see this man. A naked screaming Gentile in a land of pigs and death. It's the grossest story in the Bible. And Jesus crosses over and this man shrieking. He was, and he had a superhuman strength because of this spiritual oppression that he would break chains, shackles, break them. Don't you know that the, the children in that region had ghost stories and monster stories about this guy. This is the monster man. I can't think of anything more terrifying than a naked screaming man possessed by demons. That's horrifying. I you imagine this. This is beautiful music this morning. Beautiful music. Can you imagine what Jesus Christ, the music that the second person of the Trinity, the kind of music that he heard in eternity past in heaven. Can you imagine what his ears heard? What do you think it was like, the ears of Jesus, to hear a shrieking, demon-possessed man the moment he got out of that boat? What a horror to someone who had heard the most unspeakably beautiful sounds in the universe. And the sight and the sounds and the smell of this place. Jesus goes directly toward it. Is that the, is that the Jesus that you know? Is your Jesus like this? Or is your Jesus aloof? Is he a snob? Is he, he doesn't want to get his hands dirty because you know, here's the, the reason we're connecting with this. Jesus is not disgusted by this man. Jesus is not disgusted by you. I think about my own heart. Look, we're Presbyterians, so like we're really, really good at cleaning up. I'm a, I, 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 I came here, I'm wearing my jacket, my Brooks Brothers jacket that my dad bought for me. I don't buy Brooks Brothers, but this is a nice jacket. I'm proud of it. And I'm, I'm, I'm the campus minister at a university full of the most brilliant, the most beautiful, the most handsome, and the most impressive people in America. Single-digit acceptance rate. You ain't getting in. And they are filthy inside. They are burned out at 19. What is it? It's we cannot cover up. Here's We cannot cover up. What's really inside us as humans? We try to. It's what, 
It's so popular now to talk about toxic shame. What is shame? Shame is I am not enough. There is something about me, things that have been done to me and things that that I have done, something that so marks me, makes me so filthy, so untouchable that no one would want to get close to me, especially not Jesus. You're wrong. That's all he did. This is why people missed him. See, people don't miss Jesus because they can't get up to him, because they can't be accepted, right? Because they can't be good enough. People don't miss Jesus for that reason. They miss Jesus because he's too far down here. He knows everything about you. Everything about you. Everything about you. Things that you've tried to forget. All your secrets. He moves toward you. He moves toward you because he's come to set the captives free. Do you know that it, it is your covering up? It, 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 is, it is your running. It is your fighting. It is your, your, your power, our, our desire to not be exposed that is keeping us away from a Jesus that would cross the Sea of Galilee to the filthiest man, the scariest man ever. That's what's keeping us from Jesus. What's disgusting about you? I mean, what is it? What is it? What's that thing in your life, in your heart, in your memory that you say, I'm so glad that this is a secret. I'm so glad that this is concealed. I, I can't imagine. What is the thing in your life? Maybe it's something you've carried since you were eight. A sense of defilement. You think that Jesus will, he has no access to this. And now you're, you're so wrong. This story is recorded so that you can know Jesus comes into the darkest, filthiest, scariest places into your heart. That's the real Jesus. It's not the religious Jesus. It's not the Jesus of the movies. The Jesus with the blonde hair and the blue eyes and the clean robe. And the Jesus that walks around like a, like a robot. No, this Jesus says, let's go over there. I want to go over there. And this man, the loneliest man in the world. What have you come to do? Have you come to torment me? Jesus is not disgusted by you. Our second point, Jesus is not afraid of evil. So won't you be thinking, what's the grossest thing about you? Well, I'm really glad they asked Richie to be the, 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 the guest preacher today. Well, that's really nice. What's the grossest thing about you? He will not be asked back. Jesus is not afraid of evil. How do I know Jesus isn't afraid of evil? This guy is scary. His name is Legion. Legion was uh, a number of Roman uh, troops. That's what Legion, it was, a, it, was a way, it was a measurement of Roman troops. Somewhere between four and 6,000 troops. His name is Legion because he was possessed by many demons. Somewhere between four and 6,000. He was a living hell, is what he was. The story is is told right after, in both Mark's gospel and Luke's gospel, it's told right after Jesus calming the storm. 
And one commentator called it a demonic storm. And now he moves towards a demonic person. He, they're, they're, all evil to Jesus is all has its root in a real, personal, intelligent evil. It's not an abstraction to Jesus. In other words, the storm, disease, everything, including possession, is all rooted all the way back. It all goes right back to a real, personal, intelligent Lucifer to Jesus. Jesus had come to crush the head of the serpent. And so there's all kind of activity, demonic activity, when Jesus comes up. In fact, Jesus, the, the demons know who Jesus is. That's the reason they're shrieking at him. That's the reason they're trying to find out his name. Call his name. Because in that world, to say someone's name means to have power over that person. This is a scary, scary picture. But here's the bigger point. Jesus doesn't even raise his voice at Legion. It didn't tell us what the disciples are doing, but I can just, you can kind of only guess. They're kind of going, you want to get back in the boat? (laughs) Like, like, we're good. I think we're good. I think you got him. Uh, That's horrifying. Jesus orders these spiritual malicious forces into a herd of pigs. Yes, that's hilarious. It is. It's funny. They're terrified. They are terrified of Jesus. Jesus is not terrified of this man. This this man was looking for the first time in his life at the only person who was not afraid of legion. Who is this man? Who is this? The disciples are so slow to get it, just like we are. They had just seen Jesus calm a hurricane that happened in a moment. A hurricane on the Sea of Galilee. They were so afraid, they grew up on the Sea of Galilee. But they thought, this is the one that is going to kill us. So they cry out to Jesus, don't you care if we drown? We're going down. Jesus is asleep. He's asleep in the boat. Right before this story, he's asleep in the boat in the middle of a hurricane. And these weren't like big boats, right? He's asleep in the boat. How asleep do you have to be to be asleep in a hurricane? I mean, that's serious REM sleep. They have to wake, they have to to rouse him, they have to like shake him, wake up, wake up, wake up. And Jesus wakes up and immediately, immediately he tells the storm to stop. Like my uncle who's had a lot of Labrador retrievers, the the only voice that those labs ever listened to are my, uh, my, my uncle. Sit, sit, boom. That's what the storm does. Sit, stop, and immediately it becomes calm. Guys, when I wake up from a nap, I don't want to talk to anyone. I have no power. I feel so weak. I feel like a four-year-old, right? Jesus is so powerful that out of rim sleep, he tells a storm to sit and be still, and the water becomes like glass. And then he crosses the lake, and he looks at this walking nightmare, horrible, wretched man. He looks at him, and he says, stop. Sit. Get out of him. And they do. Now we don't think about evil a lot in PCA circles. We don't think about evil being a a malicious force working against us. And that's to our detriment. 
Maybe the evil that you experience in your thoughts. The accusations that you experience that tell you you are not a Christian. Look what you've done. The ones that fill you with anxiety and dread over your children and what might happen to your children. The one every time you you turn the news on. People, let's turn the news off occasionally. My dad keeps 24 hours Fox News on constantly. No wonder he's miserable. Because someone's always trying to blow someone up. You realize that. That's why they keep them going. Alert, alert, alert. How are any of us sleeping? And all that combination of evil in the world and all the what-if scenarios and the evil in your heart, I am afraid of it. It is bigger than me. I cannot try to intellectualize it. I cannot... It is too much. It's too much if you think about it. It's too much. The evil in me and the evil outside of me. Jesus is not remotely afraid of it. There was only one time that Jesus was ever afraid. In the scriptures. Only one time. That we're told he's afraid. It was the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus was so overwhelmed by fear, asking his disciples to stay up with him, even crying out to the Father, Lord, if it be possible, may this cup pass from me. What cup? What cup? The only time Jesus was ever afraid was facing the eternal wrath that our sins deserved. It scared him to death to the point that he sweated drops of blood. But he went right through it. See, Jesus faced the greatest evil. He faced the greatest judgment. He drank it down to the very last drop. Because one day, evil will be eradicated. One day, Jesus Christ will split the sky. And he will look at the entire cosmos. And he will say, be still. And the world will become like glass. It's a foretaste in this passage. Some of you have experienced that in your own life. Some of you have experienced that in your family. Some of you experienced just a little taste of that, of the power of Jesus. So what do we do before we go to the table? What do we do with this? First thing, I want you to leave. And Jesus wants you to leave. To know that there is no one kinder gentler and more powerful than your Savior Jesus. No one. I love Bob Dylan's music. And there was a song called To Make You Feel My Love, which has been recorded by Garth Brooks and Adele and a lot of other people. But Bob Dylan's is the best. And on it, it's, on the bridge, it says, the storms are raging on an open sea and on the highways of regret. The winds of change are blowing wild and free. But you ain't seen nothing like me yet. You ain't seen nothing like Jesus. Jesus looked at a crowd one day and he said, All who are weary and heavy laden, that is all who are burdened and overwhelmed by religion and your life, and you're carrying around this, 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 
this load that you can't carry and it's crushing you and it's crushing your relationships and it's crushing everything. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he says, because I'm gentle and lowly of heart. Do you know what those two words mean? Gentle? I'm from Arkansas. I was born and raised in Arkansas. I have never heard a man refer to himself as, I'm gentle. But the greatest man who has ever lived and will ever live on this planet called himself gentle. Gentle. Lowly of heart. You know what that means? I'm unpretentious. Isaiah 53 says that there's no beauty about Jesus to attract us to him. He wasn't good looking. Jesus wasn't uh, handsome. He didn't look like a movie star. He looked like an extra. Here's the point. Jesus was the kindest, most humble, most approachable man that has ever lived. And he was born and he was placed in a manger, which would be like being born and placed in a dog bowl. And this, these, these, these shepherds that were like... First century pirates are the first people to come see him. And there he is, the bread of life in a dog bowl for you. Gentle, not a snob, totally approachable for you. And he's the same one that will cause all evil to be eradicated from this cosmos. He's the same one that calms the storm and casts out 6,000 demons. The gentle, lowly, unpretentious Savior, that's your Jesus. And so you know what this means? The kingdom, the kingdom is for the weak. It is your illusion of strength that keeps you from Jesus. It is your boasting and your resting in your own competencies. It is you hiding from the reality of your need that is keeping you from this Jesus. The kingdom is for the helpless. And when the kingdom comes, there is peace. When the kingdom comes, there are kind words. When the kingdom comes, there is the end of snobbery. When the kingdom comes, there is good news to filthy captives. Do you see? And the last thing is this. How do you respond? Well, you see it in this passage. Jesus does this. He takes the evil spirits. He throws them into pigs. The pigs jump off a cliff into the water. And so the herdsmen show up, and here's what they see. My pigs are in the Sea of Galilee, floating. That's what they see. And then, and they're, they're mad about that, because that's, that was expensive. But, but notice, they go to Jesus, and they see this man, the nightmare man, and he's dressed. And he's in his right mind. He's at peace. And they're terrified. They're terrified. What about a man sitting clothed is terrifying? Unless you knew what he was like before. And so the man says to Jesus, please let me go with you. I've kind of got a bit of a reputation here. Can, can I? Jesus says to him, go home. And tell them what I did to you. And he did. Y'all look, that's what ministry is. All ministry is. Is you telling people 
in embarrassingly simple and practical ways, the peace you've experienced, the cleansing you've experienced to real people. That's all it is. That's why we love Amazing Grace. The song Amazing Grace, John Newton, the story, maybe most of you know this story. He he is a slave trader. In a day where the slave ships were so outrageous, uh, they were floating hell. You could smell, they said you could smell a slave ship 10 miles downwind. What he did and participated in was the same thing that all the slave ship owners did. The, the way they would treat the female slaves. You can only use your imagination. He did all those things. And then Jesus came to him. And so that's why he wrote Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. How many times have we sung that? That is like the free bird of the Christian world, right? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Do you know what a wretch is? Think about how we sing in the Presbyterian churches. Saved a wretch. Oh, wretch. A wretch is a miserable, hopeless, dead end, nobody, throwaway person. A wretch like me. John Newton really knew he was a wretch. This man really knew he was a wretch. And he was saved by amazing grace. PCA people, listen to me. I think most of us think we're kind of half wretch. I'm wretch. But I'm not like that wretch. But the problem is, if you're only half a wretch, grace is only half amazing. What is God saying to you? Your ministry to others is directly related to the ministry he's doing in you. That's it. It means for you as doctors and as business owners, it means for you to bring the peace and the shalom and the flourishing that you've experienced in practical ways to people that are right next to you. That's what it means. But get out of the way and let the Spirit show you how to do it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this story Thank you, Jesus, for crossing space and time to save us. And now, Lord, meet with us, you gentle and lowly Savior at the table. We ask in Christ's name, amen. So it's a privilege to, um, I'll turn your attention to page 8 in the, commun- in the bulletin. Um, it's, a pri- it's a real privilege because the ultimate application of any sermon is the Lord's table. Because we not only hear the gospel, but you get to, Jesus wants you to eat it. And he wants you to drink it. But that the night in which Jesus Christ was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, listen to this, this is my body for you. For the garrison demoniac. For you. In the same way after supper, he took the cup and he blessed it and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. 
Drink from it, all of you, for the remission of sins. For as, as often as you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.